The Second Chronicles chapters 11 and 12, that's where we'll be in the text this morning. And we'll pray here while you're turning there. Lord, we thank you so much for the time we've had with family and friends and um, just celebrating your birth, whether we were with people or by ourselves. Um, there's just a good reminder and such a beautiful, um, it's just a blessing to our hearts to be reminded of that and to celebrate your advent, your coming for a purpose, for a reason, for a mission, and that was for a year to demonstrate your love for us. And um, we just thank you for the time we've had so far this year. We pray that that would continue. Lord, bless your word as we study it, keep it in our hearts. And as J.C. already prayed, we pray that you'd help us to receive everything you have for us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jenny, the kids, and I all want to thank you so much for all the gifts and cards and well wishes and treats that you dropped off. Um, it's been a real blessing this year, and we thank you for that so much. Um, uh, lots of treats still sitting around our island at the at, ho- at the house, so we invite over as many people as we can to eat up those carbs before I do, because those late night moments are uh, they're getting to me here, and I'm I'm taking plates back to my chair, <laughs> the whole plate, so not good. Um, but anyway, thank you. I appreciate the thought behind it, but uh, boy. New Year's resolution is going to have to come a little sooner than the first. Start now. Second uh, Chronicles chapter eleven. We're still struggling with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and and I think it's ironic that their names are so similar because there isn't a hills beans a difference between the two of them. There isn't. We're going to see the northern kingdoms go into uh, a, you know spiritual adultery sooner, but the southern two kingdoms follow right after. Um, they hold on a little bit longer but uh, not much longer. Uh, we don't know the time difference between the two, but um, it's pride. And it's, uh, it, it, this is what it looks like when men try to govern themselves. Both kings, uh, all of Israel, has got their eyes off the Lord, and they're, and they're beginning to, um, to govern themselves, to make decisions. And I think the thrust of the both chapters, I think, is to understand that you really can't trust your flesh. You really can only trust the Lord. When we talk about being guided by the Spirit and, and trusting in God for wisdom and all these things, I mean, truly, the only person that we can trust is God. He's the only one that has the right perspective for us or for anybody. He's the only one that gets the big picture and understands the pitfalls that are in front of us. He's the only one that can lead and guide us or can actually be our defense if we need him to be our defense. He's the only one that can be our offense if we need him to be our offense. Um, he truly is the only one we can depend upon to have the right answer in any given situation. And so I think we'll see that today. In verse 1 of chapter 11, Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. So the idea is he's going to gather up an army as much as he can and try to unify the country. You know, they've, they've, uh, they've separated, but he wants to bring them back together, and he wants to bring them back together through war. <laughs> it's, that's a tough road. To, you still go to, the, go to the south? I mean, hundreds of years later or a hundred years later, we're down in the south, and, and you still have rebel flags saying the south will rise again. Well, what are you talking about? Are you really going to try to come at the north again a second time and try to beat the north? And, and the, the, I had a, a kid in the Marine Corps with me um, 
from Alabama, dumb as a box of rocks. Not all of them were like that, but he was just, and he just hooting, big guy, wouldn't want to mess with him, couldn't fit through that door probably, you know, so whatever he said was fine, you know. But he was from Alabama, and he would say that, South's going to rise again, the Cajun accent that he had. I'm like, that's treason. (laughs) He didn't know what that word meant, but I had to explain it to him, and you can't bring anybody together through war. It doesn't work. It never has worked. But Rehoboam's got the idea that he's going to get this group of 180,000 together. And, and, you know, maybe his perspective is it's just Jeroboam that's the problem. So if he can defeat Jeroboam, then the rest of Israel will, will follow. But no, they don't. And, and so God stops him here in verse 2. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren! Exclamation point. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. Why is this from God? That's the question you have to ask. I'm glad that God had a man on the scene who's actually listening to him and paying attention to his you know, voice to the point where he could actually explain it to everybody else. Because to be honest, anybody on earth can hear from God if they want to. They can be the man of God. That's how he's described. This Shemaiah can be or is the man of God, but Rehoboam could have been the man of God. Jeroboam could have been the man of God. Anybody can be the man of God if they seek the Lord. David was the man of God at the time. But oftentimes when he wasn't the man of God, he had to bring in a prophet who was the man of God to be the man of God for David to hear from. Every one of us can be that person. Every one of us can be the man or woman of God that can hear from the Lord, that seeks the Lord and understands what he's saying and obeys him. That's what he's looking for. This thing is from God because nobody in power is the man of God. Nobody's seeking the Lord anymore. Nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Nobody's finding out what God's uh, heart is on any matter. And they're governing themselves. They're listening to their own flesh. They're doing what they want to do. And they're asking God to bless it. And so they have a divided house. God says, I don't want you to try to mend this through war. First of all, stop. I don't want you to kill your brethren. This is of me. Abraham Lincoln's famous speech, A House Divided, you know, you can read it. But it's a quote from Mark, chapter 3. As are many of the great things that we remember from speeches, you know, oh, yeah, the truth shall set you free. Remember that beautiful speech? Yeah, it's a quote from the Bible. Uh, and you can't you can't have truth without God. Although people try to use that quote and take it and put it on campuses or wherever else and think that they've got the truth, and they're not telling you the truth. A lot of times, sometimes they are. But the the, the quote is from Scripture, and so Abraham Lincoln's speech is wonderful because it was from Scripture. But we got to know the context behind it. You can't just take that phrase and and put it anywhere. A lot of people use that phrase, a house divided can't stand, to just bring unity together and saying the the argument's not helping the situation out at all. We need to just find a compromise, get together on this, and, and we'll be able to stand. No, you won't be able to stand. If you fall after that argument or after that discussion or after that compromise, you come 
together on the wrong side of God, you will lose. You will not stand, you see. It has nothing to do with the fact that we need to just get together as a couple, we need to get together as states or nations, or get together as Republicans or Democrats or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. That that verse or that scripture should never be used that way. We need to come together on the side of God. There is a battle raging between good and evil, and they don't need to come together and come to a compromise. Every human being on the face of the earth, if they want to live forever with God in heaven, needs to fall on the side of God and complete obedience to Him. There is no compromise. There is no togetherness. God says this division that's happening between Israel and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, is on purpose and it's by me. You guys are too chummy, running away from me as fast as you could. This division comes from you governing yourself, from your, and you and your pride. I'm letting you have what you've desired, and it's coming to this. So whenever you're done governing yourself, Israel is a theocracy. A theocracy is where the nation is to be governed by God completely. They Actually, they don't, they don't raise up kings who are governed by God. That was never God's plan. It was always supposed to be we go to the house of the Lord, we inquire of God, we find out what his mind or heart is on the matter, and we do that and we all obey him completely. It's a monarchy, but he's the king. Well, they wanted little kings like all the other nations, and so they found themselves being governed by men as opposed to God. So that's fallen away. As, human, as Christians, we're called to have a theocracy in our lives. I am a theocracy. I am to be governed by God completely. I don't weigh the options. I don't make a list of pros and cons. I completely pray and trust the Lord, and I don't trust my flesh. I don't trust my thoughts and my ideas. I completely trust in God. See, and I don't succeed all the time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, so, you know, be like me, the perfect theocracy. No, that's what it's supposed to be. And I'm very well aware of when I am not in that state of under the authority of a theocracy or following under God's plan. And God lets things happen in my life and lets things happen in your lives also, just like what's happening in Israel. When they're no longer governed by God and governed by themselves, this is what it looks like. It's divided. It's confused. It's it's futile. And so God says, let it alone. You're not going to go, don't be killing everybody. This is of me. Verse 5, so Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem. Fine, okay. We, they all go back to their homes. They're not going to fight him. But here's what they did do. They built cities for defense in Judah, and he built Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soko, Adolam, Gath, Mirsha, Ziph, Adoram, uh, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ahijalon and Hebron. These are these are strong cities um, in these two southern um, tribes or kingdoms or territories. And he fortifies these cities, he says. Uh, he made fortified strongholds and put captains in them and stored food and oil and wine. Also, in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. Now, he does that mainly because of the true enemies of Israel, those outside not necessarily for the northern tribes, because they're on the southern end of Israel here, and so they're just 
putting up their defenses for all those foreigners that would come in from the south, you know, moving north and would attack them. So he does what he can do. I mean, if we're going to be divided, I need to strengthen. And so that's why sometimes in the Bible you'll see them say, and we'll see it here in a minute, he, he behaved very wisely. There's nothing wise about the situation. He's in the situation, and he's behaving wisely in it the best he can. It would be better that they were all together and obeying God. It would be better that they were all, you know, just be a theocracy like they're supposed to, but they're not, and so he's behaving wisely in the situation that he finds himself in, okay? Um, and so he does this and, defend, and gets, gets the defense ready, and that's, that's an okay thing. Um, nothing wrong with that. Um, he makes the best of it. Verse 13. And from all their territories, territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him. So you've got 12 tribes. One of the tribes is the Levitical tribe, the Levites. And they are spread out through all the nation. And we'll, we'll see that here in a minute. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons, that's the other side, not Rehoboam, that's who we're discussing, but all the priests of the Levites all went down to Rehoboam because Jeroboam, who's in charge of the other ten tribes, well, nine, Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. So they're walking away from God. They're not listening to the priests anymore. The priests are like, there's no reason for us to be up here anymore. So they begin to congregate down in the south. All these religious rulers who truly want to follow the Lord begin to come down to where, for the most part, they still worship God. And so they they come down. Now, these common lands, we've discussed that, we've read that, we've studied that a little bit. Um, God's plan for the nation of Israel, for them to spread out, he gave them different territories for each tribe. But the Levites, because they were priests, God needed to spread them out so there was a spiritual footprint anywhere they went. So you weren't too far from someone who was spiritual, someone who could lead you to God. And so they spread out these pastors, so to speak, or priests is what they were called, all over the nation, and they would have common lands that were theirs around the cities that was theirs to, to do whatever they needed to do with them. Well, no reason being in that city if everybody's worshiping Shamash or, you know, whatever God that they were worshiping. So they begin to, they begin to concentrate. Um, a spiritual drain uh, would happen in the nation of Israel that would all go to these two southern uh, kingdoms or two southern, the southern kingdom, the two tribes. So this sets them up for failure because now God's presence is truly gone or the men who are supposed to represent God is truly gone from these nine tribes up to the north. They've all come down there. And there's also then no excuse for the two southern tribes that are about to do what we think they're about to do, which is walk away from God also. They're concentrated. All that spiritual firepower is all down there. All the men of God that were called by God to to lead people towards God, to have this theocracy like you're supposed to have all come and concentrated. This is going to be great. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be great because men take men with them wherever they go. We just do. We bring our flesh wherever we go. You could grab a, we could have a thousand Christians out here and all build little homes and everything and, and, and put up big walls and, and wire up and have our own little commune here. And boy, it's going to be utopia. And I'm kidding because that's a different religion. But that's what it would end up being. And pretty soon the people that are here because we're people begin to get people-y. <laughs> 
And we begin to argue about little things and doctrines and things. And so now you've got in this group of a thousand people with all the little homes, you've got the, we've got the Aaronites over there by the sound booth, you know, and, and the Mickites and the Carolinites over here. And we all of a sudden have ites all over the place, you know, because people are people. We bring our flesh with us wherever we go. There is no safe place from us. The battle always has to be me in my heart following God and rejecting the flesh. And it's a constant battle that I have. And the church is made up of every individual doing that very thing. And that's why when people in the world look at the church and they see a bunch of hypocrites, that's because a lot of them are not a theocracy. They're following their own dictates of their own heart, and their heart is deceptively wicked. But some are. And then on Tuesday, we all switch roles. And now they're not following the Lord. And we were, you know, now we're, it's just people. And we're fighting this. And so we see this in the nation of Israel showing up in a, in a country kind of uh, picture for us to watch. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, there's no difference between these guys. So the priests decide to come down. And they appointed for themselves, after they left, Jeroboam, this guy in charge of the nine upper uh, tribes, he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons, for the calf idols, which he had made. All the way. And, and you do, yeah, I saw you shake your head. I'm the same way. It's like, really? I mean, how many times around this mountain do you have to go before you figure out? It's not going to end well when you begin... And what's with the golden calf? Why do they keep pulling that out of their back pocket? It's just so comfortable for them. It's their go-to. The golden calf. Remember the golden? Put it away. You know, we last time we made a golden calf, we had to drink it. You know? And yet, here we are again. Let's make another golden calf. Because this time it'll be better. You know? And I, and I laugh, and I shake my head, and, and I think about every addict out there. Whether you're an alcoholic, whether you're a drug addict, or other addicts, there's many other to choose from. I'd pick those two because they're easy targets. But there's lots of addictions out there. And the people outside of that addiction watching the addicted shake our heads. Are you kidding me? So this time, alcohol is going to be the solution? So this time, crack's going to, it's going to work out? You're going to be able to control yourself now? So you're going to keep yourself out of jail now that you're... How do you not see this? It, it baffles our minds sometimes. How do, you not, how do you keep choosing something that's destroying you? It doesn't have to be an addiction. It could just be flat-out sin, which is all it is. It's our flesh. Why do you at this time think your flesh is going to be able to lead or guide you better than the Holy Spirit in this matter? What makes you think that your brain is now big enough to handle the problem that you weren't able to handle before? What makes us think? I should be, we should be scared to death of sin. Scared to death of rebellion. I don't have to know it all. I don't have to know all the ins and outs of every sin, every path that's going to lead me down so that I can, you know, manage it or I need to, we need to truly just seek the Lord and trust that following him is far better than whatever else is over here. I don't even want to look at it because it's not where he is. 
to get my trust, to have my trust in Jesus, that focused, that all-encompassing in my life is everything. To, to pray about everything, to wait for his answer and guidance on everything. Oh, you guys are such a crutch. Can't you be your own man? Can't you be your own woman and, and do this on your own? I can't. I've tried it so many times before. I'm addicted to my flesh. And so the nine tribes of the north here are so addicted to their flesh that they've made it spiritually uninhabitable for those that want to follow God. It says this, And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. So for three years, the commune worked. For three years, they were seeking the Lord. But that's it. They brought the flesh with them. They were just the last ones to fall. I've watched many people walk away from the Lord. A lot of my friends walk away from the Lord. Um, a lot of people I've led to the Lord have walked away from the Lord. I've watched a lot of people walk away from the Lord. And there's no pride in that statement at all. Like, look at me, I haven't. Because I know that I am that person on any given day. It's easy to walk away from the Lord. It isn't hard to walk away from God. It's easy. It is a battle and a war that you, you have to be ready and prepared to fight on a daily basis to not Go after the flesh. The flesh is easy. The flesh is appealing for the moment. The flesh has lots of great attributes that cause us to... We don't want bad things. We, we really have to stop calling sin like this crazy evil thing that who would choose that? We choose sin because it's great as far as our flesh is concerned. It's totally off. I love every bit of it. I feel so happy, so satisfied in the moment anyway. There may be repercussions, but if I just jump back into it again, those repercussions kind of fade. And I can numb myself again and fall back into my, you know, sin is flesh-pleasing. It's very attractive. And for me to look at that gratification right in front of me, that easy satisfaction and to reject it and to choose God is going to, is going to require something we're going to see in 12 verse 14, which we'll get to in a while, which is to prepare our hearts beforehand. It's a battle. So for three years anyway, they do pretty good. They do pretty good. They stay close to the Lord. But there's a spiritual drain where everybody walks away, and now they're worshiping the gods of their own heart that they've created. Now back to the southern kingdom's Rehoboam. Then Rehoboam, verse 18, took for himself a wife, Mahalah, the daughter of uh, Jeremoth, the son of David, and of Abihail, the daughter of Eliah, the son of Jesse. And she bore him children, um, uh, Jehush, uh, Shemariah, uh, and Zaham. After, uh, after her, he took uh, Mekah, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atiah, um, and Ziza, and Shal- Shalometh. Now, Rehoboam loved 
Micah, the, da- the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all of his wives and his concubines. For he took 18 wives and 60 comp- concubines and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. That's never worked. It's never been easy to have that kind of family. Still to this day, it isn't easy to have that kind of family, and many people do. That blendedness that so many, who, who, who's a blood relative and who's by marriage and who's what, who's this, and who's that, it's hard to tell. And there's a lot of jealousies and there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of seeking after, and, and all that jealousy that comes in those families is simply seeking after affection. They just want that affection. They feel like they're left out. They feel like they're abandoned or for whatever reason. And so there's a lot of problems, and there will be. But for now, he's got a lot of kids and a lot of wives, a lot of concubines. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Mekah, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. He dealt wisely. Well, is he? In the situation he is. Here's what he does. He dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. Is that wise? No, it's not. But given the situation, you spread them out. You've got your fingers and your tentacles in all these cities. Your sons are telling you what's going on in the territory. You've got some trusted men, sort of, you know. So he dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons. So he's trying to do his best here. Now, chapter 12, it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him three years later. Here we are, right in the same spot as the northern nine tribes. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt. And Lubim the, uh, and the uh, Sukim and the Ethiopians, okay, whoever they are. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Well, so much for the fortified cities with your sons in them, with all the bronze and all the oil and all the things that you did, because you behaved very wisely. Because if you're not on God's side, it doesn't matter how much defense you put up, you lose. I mean, you... you You think about that. You think about the South rising up against the North, and it's pretty much even. They all had even stuff, you know, some boats bigger than others, probably. It's quite an advantage to some. But for the most part, you're doing muskets, cannons, and things like that. Everybody had everything they had, right? It's pretty much divided. Can you imagine? Anybody got a drone? A, A weaponized drone? You talk about the chariots of the day. That would be the chariot. Satellite? Heat signatures? Are you kidding me? They could read license plates from space, and we're going to mount a defense against something like that? How could you ever have a civil war in this country, ever, and expect to, to do well at all? They'd squash you like a bug. And so I, I bristle at the, at the suggestion that, people begin to do that or or follow these same rules of preparing. You know, I, I, I understand. Don't get me wrong. I understand there's some 
preparing you'd want to do for bad situations, bad times, winter storms, whatever, that's fine. But when God truly says not to trust in chariots, you may as well put drone in there, you may as well put satellite in there, you can put all those things in there, it doesn't matter. When you think about the hopelessness of coming against some kind of awesome force like that, you have to remember who is the awesome force that ultimately can drop all those things like stars falling out of heaven if he wanted to. They can crash land. Everything can go away. It's whose side are you on? And it's not red and blue. It's God or not is the idea. When they decide to fortify the cities, it doesn't take but Egypt, this worldly country that's never followed the Lord, with a couple other countries with them, to take all the fortified cities. It's all gone now. The false religion that Rehoboam decides to go after, just like Jeroboam decided to go after, has ruined them. The only strength that uh, Rehoboam had against Jeroboam or any other nation was not the fortified cities, but that they were with God. They were still seeking after the Lord. But when they stopped seeking after the Lord, it didn't take anybody but little old Egypt to come up and take them out. Now, when God's done letting little old Egypt with all those chariots and all that wonderful weaponry that absolutely was awesome and, and horrific to see from Rehoboam's perspective, God will just push them into the water and just cover them up like he did before. You know, he can just wipe that stuff out when he's done. As a human being, I need to be on the side of God for defense. You can stand in a field against an entire army by yourself with your T-shirt on and, your, and, and, and some shorts and watch God get the victory for you. David goes out and fights this Goliath and all of the Philistines flee after this Goliath falls. There's nothing. He had a slingshot. He had a sling. It's whose side we're on. False religions, what is it about them? Three things, and I'm stealing this from Pastor Chuck also. It gives you permission to sin. That's why people flee God and go after their false gods. It gives you permission to sin. It, gives you, it appeals to your flesh. All other religions appeal to your flesh. All other religions give you permission to sin. And they encourage, all of them, self-gratification. They all do. That's why they do them. They allow you to be in charge. They allow you to seek after to go a path that you want to choose. Um, whereas Christianity is, is the exact opposite. It says deny your flesh, and everything it screams for is not going to rule your life. I want to rule your life. Your flesh may not rule your life. The other religions, sure, let your flesh rule. It's okay. But God says, no, I want you to deny your flesh. I want you to follow me. I want you to let somebody other than yourself rule your life. That's a hard thing for us. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. Even at work, right? Even though they're the boss, even though they're the ones that hired you, even though they're the one that started the company, even though they have all that power, when they tell you to do something that you don't want to do, what is your, we bristle. They don't know what they're doing. And then we, they don't know what they're talking about. If I was running this company, we'll go start one. We don't like that. We hate it when people tell us what to do. And so our flesh is very eager 
and ready to fight when that comes. Don't tell me what to do. And God says, I want you to let me tell you what to do. And that's the one thing they said against Jesus, wasn't it? We will not have this man rule over us. And that is the mantra for any unbeliever. I will not have this man rule over me. If I was God, hmm, it's the same thing. Verse 5. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together at Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me, and therefore I have left you in the hands of Shishak, this Egyptian guy. Very faithful to let them know why it's happening to them. What's going on here? Where's God? Why is he defending us? Didn't he just set us free from Egypt? Yeah, a while ago. Seems you've forgotten that. But it's because you've forsaken me that I've allowed this to take place. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, The Lord is righteous. The Lord is right. You're right. I'm wrong. It's a very simple thing that God's called us to do. What does God want me to do? What am I supposed to do uh, with this sin? Or what am I supposed to do in this situation? If you remember anything from this morning, here it is. Tune back in. If you're out, God's will for you in every situation all the time is your sanctification. Always been that. It's very simple. I want you to be set apart for me. Anytime I come across an opportunity or a sin or a difficult fork in the road in my life, am I sanctified for God or am I not sanctified for God? And always choose in your heart, way before you get to that crossroads, whatever choice comes my way, I will set myself apart for God. You will always choose right. You will never be wrong. You'll never reap the consequences of sin. It's a very simple thing, and yet it's so hard. It's not a complicated set of rules. Sanctify yourself. These guys set themselves apart. The Lord is right. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. They still need to feel a little bit of a sting here. And here's the sting he's going to give them. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. I'm going to let them serve the master they chose. They're not going to die, but I'm going to let them feel what it's like to be under that kind of master so they can distinguish the difference between being ruled by a loving, merciful, gracious, beautiful God who has only your best interests at heart versus someone who uses you like a pawn or like a slave or like whatever else. So I'll let you have that for a while so that you can distinguish the difference between these two. We just forget. We take him for granted. He's such a wonderful God to serve, to raise hands to, to sing songs to. It's not complicated or hard to praise a God who is who he is. He's amazing. We don't have to kind of work around the fact that he's abusive behind closed doors, you know? It's not like we're trying to talk good about our God when actually he's a beast. He's not. He's beautiful. And so when we sing songs to him, it's always true. 
But it's almost like we get bored. You're so good all the time, all the time. You're so good, you know. I guess we need to get slapped around a little bit once in a while before we realize how good we had it. That's basically what they're doing. Sad. And and easy at the same time. I mean, if anything, we come away from worshiping God this morning to remind us and to get us back on track. No, no, he's really, really good. I know I said that a lot, but there's really no darkness in him. There's no evil in God at all. He's purely light. He's purely good. He's always looking out for my best interests. His thoughts towards me are as the sands of the sea, and they're precious. <laughs> he doesn't have any ill will towards me. Christ has made up the difference for all of my sin. He has no judgment waiting for me. I mean, you couldn't sing loud enough or long enough. <laughs> that new song we did, is JC in here? No. That new song we did, I'm like, how many times are we going to say that one part? It's a lot. And then I got to thinking about what we're seeing, and I'm watching... Uh, Mick in front of me begin to raise his hands as we're on like the sixth time saying it. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. You can't say this verse enough. You can't repeat it long enough and loud enough, you know? The Lord is righteous. Oh, if we just remember, maybe we should tattoo that on ourselves someplace. The Lord is always right. He's never wrong. The Lord is righteous. Like if you ever had to choose, the Lord is right. Oh yeah, he's right. You never have to forget that. Now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, I'm going to take care of you, he says. I'm going to make sure that you don't get destroyed. So Shishag, verse 9, the king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. They're losing everything. He took everything, it says. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Remember how they had so much gold they didn't know what to do with it, so they started manufacturing golden shields and storing them in buildings, you know, even though they didn't need them. Pretty impractical, pretty heavy shields to be thrown around on the battlefield. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. We've got to have some kind of shield. And committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards. They're the only ones that got it. Who guarded the doorway at the king's house. And they didn't get it all the time. Here's a bronze shield. Hold this for a while. Whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. And then would take them back to the guard room. <laughs> it's just for show. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. Kind of. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city uh, which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nema, the Ammonitess, and he did evil, but, or because, he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. That's the key. Underline that. He did evil, why? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. We do not prepare our hearts enough. I sanctify myself ahead of time. I make choices now so that when the choice comes, I've already made the choice. You see? Before temptation hits, I've already decided in my mind and in my heart what I'm going to do if that situation comes up. I prepare my heart. And there are so many choices, so many opportunities to sin out there. That's why I focus back on what's the one thing I need to do then? I need to prepare my heart to sanctify myself. That's the solution. I can't prepare for all the scenarios that are going to come my way. 
I was prepared for Judy to hit on me, but I wasn't prepared for Jana to hit on me, you know. Well, it's the same problem. You don't go down those roads at all because I've sanctified myself. It's no matter who it is, no matter what the situation is, it's, it pulls me away from God. It causes me to follow after my flesh. Purpose in your heart. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord in everything that I do, in every uh, conversation that I have, in every way that I raise my kids or conduct my marriage or run my household or run my business or obey my boss. I'm going to seek the Lord ahead of time. I'm preparing my heart. I pray about everything. Before I go to work, pray. Oh, God, I have no idea what awaits me, but it is Monday, you know. And I'm sure something awaits me. Danger, foolishness, personalities. I'm going to run into people today, you know. And people are going to be peopley. And I need to be prepared to be godly and not peopley myself. And so God, prepare my heart that I would choose you, that I would sanctify myself today. So when they make that joke, like they always do, I don't laugh and join in. When they criticize their wives, I don't join in or criticize their husbands. I don't do that. I don't throw my husband under the bus for the sake of a yuck at the water cooler. Prepare your hearts. And that's why they did evil, because they hadn't prepared their hearts. So he's giving us a blueprint on how to walk in obedience to him. The Acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the books of Shemaiah the prophet? We don't have that book. We need to read, but I don't know that I'd trust it. Anyway, they're there. They're in that book. And Avito, the seer, uh, concerning genealogies. We don't have that one either. And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. And nothing's going to change except the names because people are people. Sin is sin, flesh is flesh, regardless of who we are. It's whether they obey God or whether they disobey God. Personalities are out the window. Prepare your hearts. I encourage you to prepare your hearts. I know you're here preaching to the choir. We're here to prepare our hearts. Decide today who you're going to serve. Decide today what choices you're going to make. Decide today to sanctify yourself to God. To seek him in prayer in all things. To not trust your flesh. To trust the Spirit of God when he leads you. Especially when it's contrary to what your flesh wants to do. That's when you need to follow the most. It's great when we're synced up and my flesh wants to do what the Spirit wants to do. Those are easy days. It's when my flesh says, no, I don't think so. That's the day you've got to choose ahead of time to choose the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises, for your encouragement, for showing us. These things are written for our admonition, to teach us, to train us, that we don't have to fall into the same pitfalls that all these men and women fall into. You give us clear choices, clear options. You warn us ahead of time, and you follow up with us with a lesson plan afterwards. And... uh, We have really no excuse. So thank you for this morning and for your word. We receive it with gladness. We apply it to our lives. We sanctify our hearts now. We set ourselves apart for you. And we prepare our hearts for what's coming. That we choose today to choose you tomorrow. We're choosing today to follow you, Jesus, no matter what comes, to do what's right in your eyes. 
no matter what the choice is in front of us or however many options there may be this week, we choose you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. Uh, No Wednesday night study this week. Thursday night, though, is New Year's Eve night. We will be having a party that night, starting at 6 o'clock with a potluck.